0: This episode is sponsored by Unique One Network. This is Opinionated, a roundtable debate that fascinates with each new thought-provoking guest. The place to convey strong ideas and at times the casual controversy. Join Features Editor Ben Schiller and reporters Anna Batakova and Danny Nelson as they push the conversation further with their own criticisms and reactions to the latest Bitcoin and crypto news from around the world. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Hi
1: everyone, this is Danny Nelson here with Opinionated. I'm joined by my co-hosts, Anna Bidakova and Ben Schiller. And today we're going to be talking about Tether with Grant Gullivson, a lawyer in Chicago who specializes in the crypto space and has a lot to say. On Tether. He's definitely one of the more active and informed voices out there in the space. And we're excited to have him on today to uh, really dig into the current issues surrounding this really important aspect of the crypto space, this $62 billion stablecoin, and also the issues that might arise if Tether or if something were to happen to Tether, which doesn't seem completely out of the question given uh, the history that this checkered asset has had. So Grant, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you. Appreciate it. I'm glad to be here.
1: Yeah. And I'd love to just start off with a little background on yourself. How did you get into uh, crypto law? And then also, how did you find yourself so interested in the Tether case?
2: No, that's a actually great question. I've been a licensed attorney since 1998. Prior to getting into crypto, I worked for about 10 years at a civil and commercial litigation firm in Illinois. One thing I guess I should correct you, I'm not actually based in Chicago. I'm in downstate which is generally refers to everything outside of Chicago. I'm a couple hours Southwest of there. I I guess I, I bought my first Bitcoin actually in 2013, but I didn't really incorporate anything crypto related into my practice until I think late 2017 during the ICO boom and subsequent bust. The majority of my practice now is related to crypto. Most of it's just advising smaller startups and helping them navigate all the fun regulatory uncertainty here in the U.S., as far as Tether's concerned, I think it's safe to say that my view has, has evolved somewhat. It probably wasn't until mid to late 2019 that I began to pay attention to what was happening with Bitfinex and Tether. And that was actually thanks to the frequent cajoling of one of my friends who goes by the Twitter handle Chain Agnostic. Then um, started reading some of the research and content that was being put out by guys like uh, Bitfinex, Bennett Tomlin, and Cass Pianci. And as a result of that, I was safe to say I became more skeptical about what was going on, but it really wasn't until the New York Attorney General settlement dropped in February. I mean, that that really drove home the fact that a lot of what the quote-unquote tethered truthers were saying was basically true. I mean, you know, there were quite a few conspiracy theories floating around and not, not necessarily all of them proved out from what the language that appeared in that settlement, but a lot of the concerns that had been raised by those folks did turn out to be true. So that was really the biggest turning point for me.
3: Just interjecting to uh, follow up on this, if you can help our audience refresh their memory, what turned out to be true that many people were expecting to be true, as you say?
2: Oh, yeah, sure. In the uh, New York Attorney General, the, the settlement agreement that was published, I've actually got some of the quotes right here. From its inception in 2014 until late February 2019, Tether had represented that every outstanding Tether was backed by and thus should be valued at one US dollar. But in fact, between uh, June 1st of 2017 to September 15th, 2017, the only US dollars held by Tether backing the 442 million Tethers in circulation was the approximately $61 million that was sitting in Stu, uh, Stuart Hodner's trust account. Stuart Hodner's the general counsel for Tether Bitfinext. And then there was another period between November 2nd, 2018 and late February 2019 where Tethers were again no longer backed one to one. So I think that the biggest revelation for me and a lot of folk was simply the fact that they had been promising from 2014 to early 2019 that their tethers were always backed one to one by real fiat currency. And it turned out that there were long periods of time where that was just false. So so I think that that to me was the, the biggest revelation that came out of that.
1: And you know, these questions are really important because just to give everyone some perspective. Tether is a major liquidity provider in the Bitcoin markets. It's now, I believe, there's $62 billion of Tether in circulation. And I I think it is still the largest stablecoin, although its market share may be shrinking somewhat as other uh, stablecoins rise up, especially uh, really powered by the questions surrounding Tether. They're latching onto that and uh, offering their own services. So uh, like with Tether this question of whether this really important thing is actually backed with assets that it claims to be backed by, that is, I mean, really an important question. And so from a legal perspective, how are you approaching that?
2: I have actually some interesting thoughts on this. From a legal standpoint, there are actually quite a few attack vectors that are in the wings right now that could potentially be very disastrous to Tether Limited, and then by extension to the crypto markets. And just to sort of expand on what you were saying earlier, the Tether market cap, as of yesterday, I checked it, it was a little over $62 billion. The total crypto market cap is $1.6 trillion. So if you compare those two numbers together, it's really rather small. But the 24-hour Tether trading volume was $52 billion. And by comparison, the Bitcoin trading volume was 30 billion and Ethereum trading volume was 28 billion. So, I mean, the actual usage of Tether in the crypto markets is just absolutely immense. It was the number one volume and has been consistently for quite a long period of time. So, if for some reason that liquidity were to drop or there were some other problems, I mean, I think it would have a significant impact on the wider markets. Maybe we'll have a chance to talk about. Different theories about what that impact might be because I don't think it's entirely clear. There's a lot of speculation, but I do think it would have an impact as far as the various threats that are out there. You know, obviously, you've got the New York Attorney General case is still, even though it's been resolved, there are requirements that Tether must abide by as far as reporting. They have to make regular reports to the New York Attorney General's office that include presumably a lot more detail than what they are required to, at least publicly, but they are also required to. Make public reporting. And that would include, I guess, you know, the pie chart that they released a few months ago. I believe their next 90 day window will be coming up this month, I think, in August. So whether we see another pie chart or whether we see something that has a little bit more information remains to be seen. But they are required to continue reporting. And then obviously, they they were also banned from doing any business in the state of New York or with any residents in the state of New York. On the legal front, Let's see, I think it was on, yeah, July 26. Bloomberg had reported that the Department of Justice was investigating tether executives in a bank fraud probe. I know that there was some discussion about whether that's actually news, and, and it's not clear to me whether it is, because I do know that I think back in 2018, there was a similar story that was broken about the Department of Justice doing an investigation, although that was limited, I believe, or focused on market manipulation, whereas in this case, it was related to bank fraud. Now, whether or not that actually turns into any indictments or certainly convictions would, again, remain to be seen. But if it were to go that route, I mean, the maximum penalty for a conviction for federal bank fraud is a million dollars and up to 30 years in prison, so subject to the various federal sentencing guidelines. So it's certainly plausible that if that investigation were to proceed and turn into something like an indictment, you know, there could be pretty serious consequences for the executives of Tether. And then the question is, would Tether be able to continue functioning? as it currently does if one or more of its top executives are facing prison or in prison. Again, this is all speculation. We don't know. It may not turn into anything, but that is one of the obvious concerns that's out there that Department of Justice investigation.
0: There's so many blockchains and NFT marketplaces these days, and none of them work together. Introducing Unique One Network. The easy way to build multi-blockchain, DeFi-enabled NFT marketplaces where instead of picking your favorite blockchain, you let your users and creators pick for themselves. Powered by Polkadot, Unique One Network lets you service NFT creators and collectors across art, photography, philanthropy, gaming, finance, and more. So do yourself a favor and head over to UniqueOne.network now to learn more. That's UniqueOne.network to learn more.
3: You know, this all is really serious stuff. It always impresses me that whatever happens to Tether and whatever new stuff we learn, even if it sounds damaging for Tether, many people seems completely unfazed. And especially people who are dealing with Tether for work, like for example, OTC brokers. I, I had a funny conversation with one of them, quite a big one. And he was like, I was happy to learn that there is like 74% cash and cash equivalents back because I thought it was less. (laughs) So my question is, if we talk about this connection between Tether and the rest of the crypto market and the possible connection between what happens to Tether and what happens with the rest of crypto, let's imagine that Tether turns out insolvent. How would it actually affect the crypto market what do you think
2: personally i think it's important to make the distinction that i don't believe that tether is in any way any sort of an existential threat to bitcoin or ethereum or any other cryptocurrency whatever happens with tether it's not going to affect the bitcoin network the ethereum network they're going to keep operating the miners will keep mining consensus rules will continue to function as designed it's really not going to have an issue but it will have potentially a very big issue on the price Of those digital assets, as well as you know the overall cryptocurrency marketplace. To the extent that people are concerned about price, and to the extent that people are making investment-related decisions about whether to invest in cryptocurrency, I think it is an important thing to to consider, and it could very well have an impact.
3: But but how will it impact the price?
2: This is actually one of the questions I can share some of the theories that I've seen. This is not my area of expertise as far as that level of detail. And if you guys have any thoughts. I'd love to hear them. I mean, one of the theories that I've seen tossed around is that if it turned out that Tether was insolvent or got shut down or whatever, basically Tether just stopped operating. There was some theories that the executives who work at Tether would notify their friends who would immediately begin converting whatever Tethers they did have into Bitcoin or some other digital asset, which would most likely make the price of Bitcoin and those other digital assets go up a lot um, on those on certain tether exchanges, exchanges that allow tether. But looking at, I think comparing it to what happened with Mount Gox, for instance, you know that would happen, but eventually news would spread and it wouldn't probably take very long where people would suddenly realize that there was a problem. And once it became clear that tethers were worthless and exchanges were going to stop allowing people to trade them on their exchanges because they're not worth anything, then you'd have a panic. And what happens to the price at that point? You know, who's to say? I don't think it would continue going up at that at that point. I think that the the impact on the wider cryptocurrency markets would probably be negative. But again, how much would it cause it to drop 10%, 20%, 30% or more? I have no idea. That's like I said, it, there's so much speculation. And that's part for me of what the, the frustration, I guess, that I and I know a lot of other people who are, are skeptical of Tether feel is that, if Tether Limited would simply provide more transparency as to what's going on behind the scenes, it would be much easier for people to make informed decisions about whether they should be investing in cryptocurrency right now. And having this sort of giant cloud out there where nobody really knows what's going on, and we get little bits and pieces of information like a pie chart. But at the end of the day, you know, that's just not enough information to make informed decision, at
4: least not for me. I think it's worth pointing out, though, I mean, that there is a huge need for stable coins. I mean, and and the growth of Circle, you know, USDC is maybe indicative of that. And what Anna was just saying about OTC brokers investing in this, even though they know it's kind of a bit dodgy, it does kind of indicate that there is this overriding need for this thing. It's not like a kind of boondoggle that, that has no kind of use case in the market. Wouldn't that suggest that the money would just migrate from the dodgy project to a more stable and reputable
2: project that's a perfectly reasonable take and i think that could very well happen and like i said i don't believe that tether as a single entity whatever happens to it is you know in any way an existential threat but it short term it could be a significant systemic risk to the markets and like you said over time every it would migrate to other stable coins because there are other stable coin issuers and and i think things would eventually you know settle down But again, from my perspective, not just looking at the cryptocurrency markets, but as we see more institutions and public corporations that have larger amounts of Bitcoin and other digital assets in their treasury and on their balance sheets, if the price of Bitcoin were to suddenly drop or these other crypto digital assets were to drop 50%, 60%, 70% and maintain that position for several weeks or months, that would be pretty damaging, obviously, to those companies. And to their shareholders. And I think that probably is why the Federal Reserve and the US Congress and regulators are all of a sudden paying a lot more attention to stablecoins because they realize that the impact that they have is not just limited to cryptocurrency markets, it could expand beyond that. Maybe not, we may not have reached the point where it is significant enough, but given the rapid growth of stablecoins, Tether, which I think has stopped printing now as of April.
3: I actually wanted to ask about these Tether competitors, because now they're kind of on par with Tether. They are publishing the disclosure of their treasury and Tether is. So when you, as a lawyer, look at the disclosure by, say, Circle or somebody somebody else, and on Tether, do you see some differences that tells you this report looks like kind of more reliable, this report I have questions to, like this treasury, looks more solid to me. How would you say about these uh, different
2: reports? I guess I'd preface that by saying, first of all, I don't have any relationship with any of those stablecoin issuers. I'll also state that I do hold some USDC, relatively insignificant amount, but I do hold some. Comparing the disclosures of Tether Limited to USDC, for example, and I guess the other major stablecoin would be uh, Paxos Standard, which also issues Binance USD. I would say on the spectrum, it would appear that Paxos Standard and Binance USD is the most transparent, and also they appear to have the most backing in the, in the form of fiat currency and US treasuries. I haven't really dug any deeper into their disclosures, but of all the stablecoin issuers that are out there now, it would appear to me that those that Paxos Standard slash Binance USD are the most compatible with what stable coins, I guess, are supposed to be, where they truly are backed. And I think it's the way Tether started out, because I do believe Tether did start out being fully backed one-to-one by US dollars, but then things happened, and then that that changed. And the USDC, I think, is, is sort of in the middle. They have made disclosures that are, in some ways, more transparent than Tether Limited, but at the same time, it was pointed out that there's a there could very well be a substantial amount of shorter term commercial paper, less than 90 day commercial paper that they didn't actually break out. So it's not clear how much commercial paper they have on their books. Does that matter? I don't know. But I'd say again, in the spectrum, USDC sort of would fall in the middle. And I guess the CEO of of Circle has indicated that he would be providing more transparency as they go through the process of becoming public. My response to that would be, well, why not just do it now? There's no reason why you can't do it now. Why are you waiting? But they're doing whatever it is they want
4: to do. So I was interested about what you were saying earlier about the reaction to this settlement that the New York Attorney General reached with Tether and the reaction amongst the kind of crypto Twitter community to it, to say that this was the end of of all controversy around Tether and we should really just get on with being into crypto and not bother with the story anymore. And that seems incredible given the disclosures in that settlement. And what you were saying earlier about the big holes in in Tether's accounts for long periods during 17 and 19. Why do you think the crypto community is so keen to debate this and have this rather sort of closed minded sort of attitude to, to, to this question? It seems once again, very sort of tribal and not very sort of
2: factually based. Right. I would agree with you based on some conversations that I have had with various people in the crypto community. The general impression I get is that for the most part you know people who really understand the markets and understand and have been in it for a while they pretty much accept the fact that tether is not an above board legitimately operating business operation they just don't seem to believe that but then the question is does it matter to me the biggest question and the most interesting question is not so much is tether limited a legitimate above board company because Quite honestly, I think you'd have to be something of a fool to believe that to be true. But at the same time, does it really matter? And as long as the crypto markets are going and despite all this bad news coming out and despite the pie charts coming out showing that they have less than 3% actual cash in the bank, everything's still functioning. You know, the price of Bitcoin's still going up, still going down, and it doesn't really seem to be having that much effect. So I'm certainly open to the possibility that maybe at the end of the day, none of this really matters that much. Right. but again, personally, and given my own risk profile, I don't like the fact that there's so much uncertainty with Tether. And, you know, personally, that's why I'm very gun shy about doing much in, the, in this space as far as from an investment standpoint.
4: Right. Personally, if you care about the overall crypto market and, and, and want this industry to succeed, you know, having this kind of Mt. Gox type conversation about this thing all the time, and it just seems crazy that we're even having this conversation in 2021, when we're supposed to be a mature sort of above board sort of industry. So,
3: Yeah, remember Laura Shin's podcast with, I think it was some executive at the Dell Tech bank, which is now the main bank of Tether. It was such a fascinating conversation because the guy just wouldn't give a straightforward answer. Laura Shin would ask, okay, how do you know that Tether is 100% backed? And he would say, I, I know it's 100% backed, like that's true and we hold their reserves then the follow-up is are you holding all their reserves and he would like after after some family he would say it's like us and somebody else you <laughs> know like how do you know that they are 100 back if, if you're not holding all the reserves and and this is how this conversation always being it's it's like you know you never catch that magic truth you you never know 100% of the facts about Tether.
4: That guy was fired, wasn't he? Or he lost his job. Oh, was he? The Dell Tech spokesperson after that interview with Shen, he, he left the company. Because they were presumably not happy with the kind of quality of his answers.
3: Well, if his job was to hide the truth, he did all he could, I well, think. The, the,
1: the true art of hiding the truth is to do it without making the person who's listening realize that it. otherwise it's pointless. True,
3: so. well... Maybe he really failed.
1: I think my favorite story from the history of Tether, I don't remember the law firm it was, but at some point in Tether, the history of Bitfinex and Tether, Tether ordered an audit on its books from a law firm and they subsequently suspended the audit before it happened because the firm was digging too deep and Tether thought that it was going to be too arduous and they wouldn't be able to get it done on deadline. And so they instead subbed that in by doing nothing. So uh, that's not a vote of confidence.
3: What year was that?
1: Oh, uh, Grant, are you familiar with the anecdote I'm I'm alluding to here?
2: It was Friedman LLP. It was the firm. And I believe it was 2018, 2019.
1: Yeah, it's absurd to me that that is a story that has actually happened. They ordered an audit. They canceled the audit because the auditors were basically doing their job. Right. There is a history here of the entities, the central, it's worth saying, these centralized entities behind Tether not being as forthcoming as even they're saying that they will be. So there's no reason why we should just take anything they say at face value. Correct. Where do we go from here, do
4: you think? What, what are the kind of next steps in terms of this investigation or this probe or this scrutiny into the company? And, and do you expect them to survive in the long term?
2: I think that short-term... Tether Limited is not going to provide any additional information unless they are forced. That's been their playbook for for years now. I believe in their recent interview on CNBC, they said, good news, everyone. We've requested an audit. It will be coming in the next few months. Of course, they've been saying the exact same thing and had said the same thing back 2016, 2017, and so on. And it never actually transpired. So I don't expect there to actually be a true audit. It goes into all of their records and presents all of the information that they have so so far been trying to shield from public views. So unless they're forced to do it, I don't believe it's going to happen. Then the question becomes, how would they be forced to do it? Obviously, the Department of Justice investigation is one possible way. The other one that last Thursday, I know it was Representative Don Fire yep. of Virginia, he introduced the Digital Asset Market Structure and Investor Protection Act, which basically says that the Secretary of the Treasury will establish an application process for all stable coins. Nobody anywhere is allowed to issue or, or u- use or permit to be used a digital asset fiat-based stablecoin. Unless it's approved, the Secretary of the Treasury is not allowed to grandfather any existing stable coins. So every stablecoin issuer out there, USDC, Paxos, BSD, and Tether would have to apply mm. to be approved. And the other thing that I thought was... It, important was that it defined digital asset, fiat-based stablecoins, to mean a digital asset that is tied, pegged to, or collateralized by the US dollar or one or more fiat currencies. So if that bill gets passed into law, I mean, I think if there was any one stablecoin issuer that would not get approval by the Secretary of the Treasury, I can't see Janet Yellen saying, okay, Tether, good to go, based on what they've done so far. So unless they're willing to become completely transparent, open up their books, I don't think they would be able to survive continuing to issue a USD-backed stablecoin or USD-pegged stablecoin, I should say. What they could do, obviously, is pivot to a USDT euro, I think is what it's called, the Tether euro stablecoin. And if you've noticed, just in the past week or two, they've started promoting on Twitter, I think it was their CTO, promoting the fact that, hey, check out this USDT euro, It's, it's really gaining traction even though they've had it for years, I don't think that's a coincidence. I think they realize that they may have to make that pivot. Now, because they're not based in the US, I think that they would likely be able to get away with that. So if they're somehow able to transition completely away from the USD stable coin into a USD to euro or something else, then they might actually be able to avoid that very large bullet that's that's headed their way. Again, this was a bill that was introduced with no co-sponsors, came out of nowhere. I don't think anybody even knows where it really originated from because the Congress person in question really doesn't have a background in doing digital assets. But someone obviously working behind the scenes put this thing together because it's very detailed and actually very well written, even though I don't agree with it entirely from a policy standpoint. So someone's put that together and is going to try to get it introduced at some point, perhaps pick up some co-sponsors. That's something to watch because that'll obviously have a huge impact, not just on Tether or even stable coins. There are a lot of other issues there. But, you know, I, I really think that there's not a whole lot the community in general can do other than just be aware of the issues with Tether and just try to be as, you know, as educated as possible about what the potential risks are. Just like from an investment standpoint, which is always what you're supposed to do, obviously, is just become educated, be aware of the risks, and make sure that you don't extend yourself, you know, invest more than you can afford to lose, I guess. If, that's, if you choose to go ahead and, and, you know, invest in cryptocurrency, that's yeah. really, I think, all you can do.
1: Absolutely. And if that bill were to pass, which I do think is probably a long shot at this point, I don't think that Janet Yellen is the type that allows uh, systemic risk-like entities to flourish, I might say. So that might not be so good for Tether. Anyway, that is all for now. Thank you so much, Grant, for joining us. It's been an enlightening time talking about this massive risk that a little corner of the crypto space has been dealing with for years. So,
3: Maybe not so massive.
1: Well, it's massive in its little corner, I will say. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. This reminds me a lot, guys, of
4: before the financial crisis in 07, 08, when there were these obvious systemic risks in the economy. And basically, nobody really wanted to own up to the fact and, and really recognize the fact because it was too convenient not to. Do you think that's true or do you think I'm
1: overstating it? As in like, the, these are the mortgage-backed securities of the crypto space? Yeah, it's some,
4: something like that. This, it's, a, it's a kind of a truth that everyone knows, but nobody really wants to deal with.
1: I feel like you're onto something there. I don't think that the risk is as hidden as it was for the financial crisis. Like if you were in the know, you would know that there was kind of a, a house of cards that was propping up a wide section of the housing market there. Here, even those who doubt it and those who cry FUD anytime someone points out to Heather, It's very publicized that there are issues and a very checkered history with Tether. But I think there is, in the same vein, that willingness to ignore that very visual, or very out there issue that is very similar to what was like uh, before the financial crisis. Exactly.
3: And probably the most disturbing thing for me has been how complacent the crypto influencer community has been all, the, all this year about that. It's like, you know, some negative Tether news appear and every influencer is crying, Tether FUD, Tether FUD again, we're not afraid of that. Instead of, you know, maybe like joining forces and really questioning Tether and making them come up with some more transparency, which the crypto market probably could have done as a community, if there was this collective will to really know the truth about Tether. If you know, like, if the exchanges, if the OTC traders, if the miners, if just uh, you know the advocates, educators, influencers would be instead of saying the Tether fad, saying this combination of words all the time, just press Tether on giving more facts, giving more information. That could have you know, a very profound and instructive effect yeah. on the market, but that doesn't seem to happen.
4: I think we see this again and again in, in the crypto community. There's a kind of epistemic closure around certain fixed ideas. And right. as soon as something complicates that kind of worldview, then there's this sort of closure of community around these false ideas possibly in the case of Tether, and kind of dismissing the, the critics. And I, and I think it's the same with the environmental debate sometimes too. Just, people just don't wanna own up to the fact that Bitcoin is sort of environmentally problematic. You know? So and it's similar here with Tether being uh, systemically uh, problematic.
3: Well, at least people have trouble with recognizing that reality is complicated right. and Bitcoin's environmental impact is a complicated thing. It's not easily broken down Right. Uh, and Tether is complicated and th- there are some you know, mysterious parts of that story that should be told one day. Any complexity hurts the price go up narrative, but when you're really doubting some stuff, like questioning things right. and show other people that this is how you can think and can talk about that. so
1: We have to remember Tether is a very centralized entity and crypto is all about being decentralized. So when it comes to this centralized entity, it is healthy for the space to be skeptical, not to you know throw everything out exactly. on its face, but to look, to investigate everything and to really think about what is being true and what is spin. Because like I said, this is a centralized entity that has a history of not being as forthright as even they've set out to be.
3: Don't trust, verify.
1: Yes, don't trust, but verify. Anyway, that is a wrap for us. Thank you guys so much for hopping on. It's been a pleasure talking about Tether and the imminent collapse of the crypto space as a whole. Or maybe um, not. Or maybe maybe not. not. Hopefully not. Hopefully not. <laughs> then we'll all be at McDonald's <laughs> and that'll be sad.
3: Stay on the safe side, everybody. And see you next week. You've been listening to
0: Opinionated with Ben Schiller, Anna Badakova, Danny Nelson and guest Grant Golovson. Today's show is produced, edited, and announced by Michelle Mousseau with music by Ellison. Have any questions or comments? Send us an email at podcasts at coindesk.com or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.